Don't forget we're opening up the Word of God. It's explosive and strong. It could change your life today. Please don't forget that we're not here because we're good people or we want our kids to be good kids or church is on our punch list. We're here because we need the gospel. We're here because man cannot live on bread alone, only, only on the words that God has given to us. So we come with that kind of a really anxious heart to be shaped in the time of preaching that we get together today. We've got a text this morning that's going to create some space for us to think about, if we have them, our fathers and our mothers, and what it looks like for us not just to have them, but to honor them, and especially as they grow old. I say that because it's a part of our text, but also because it's a reality that we're facing like never before. I read a book this week called Caring for Our Parents, fascinating book. It's basically about the story of an aging America and what that's going to mean for sons and daughters as they have to step into caring for mothers and fathers. I don't know if you know this, but we live in an unprecedented time, just totally unprecedented in human history. Our great-grandparents, basically this was their life. They worked really hard, and then they got sick, and then they died, and that was all real close to each other. Pneumonia, something as simple as a broken leg, diabetes, a heart attack, and you are standing before Christ within 24 hours, really often after these diagnoses. In 1900, the average life expectancy for an American citizen was 47. In 1935, when Social Security, 1930, when Social Security kicked in, it had barely gotten to 65. That makes sense, right? Now, 78. And the fastest growing demographic of Americans is the 85-year-olds. Now, in one sense, this is awesome. All else equal, this means that Joe Vec and Larry Nicholas and Glenn Cruz get 10, 20, 30 more years with us. That's a delight, right? Medical science is extending our ability to experience this life to the glory of God. But there's this other side to this thing. Medical science can only postpone the inevitable. We're sons of Adam, we're daughters of Eve, we will die. But instead of getting sick and dying quick, the book talked about a new generation that will be dying in slow motion. That means a lot of our fathers, a lot of our mothers, unable to care for themselves. Ten million elderly people in America right now who can't get to the bathroom, get to the bank, balance their checkbook, cook for themselves. This thing called the baby boom is approaching those ages. It's going to be a full-blown medical and financial crisis. That means that lots of our fathers and our mothers might need to be cared for by somebody and that is exhausting and expensive and confusing and difficult work. The guy who wrote the book called it Getting the Phone Call. The first chapter of the book was just entitled The Call. He said, you get this call and your heart needs to be ready to respond. For him, the call was his wife's father, Al, to tell his sons and daughters that he had a tumor, it was melanoma, it had gone undiagnosed, and he was probably going to suffer a slow death where he would need care over the coming years. 
Here's the question we're dealing with today. What is our response supposed to be as redeemed, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, heaven-inheriting Christians to that phone call? Do we see it as a problem to be solved? Do we see it as a burden that we have to bear? Do we see it as a responsibility to sneak out of or do we see it as an invitation to believe the gospel and to find ways to honor our parents to the glory of God? That is the direction I'm going to push you hard in today to convince you that that's, that's the way. Let's hear our scripture one more time and then I'll pray and preach through this. It's Mark's gospel, the seventh chapter. And Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your own tradition. Feel that. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down and many such things you do. Let's pray. Father, without your spirit being good and strong in this place, we're wasting an hour of our lives. But if you would come, you could change destinies, you could change hearts, you could change families, you could change stories. I just, I need you to come and do that by your spirit through the preaching of your word like you promised. Come do it for Jesus' fame, I pray, I pray. Hear me, amen. Okay, let's work the text because the end of this gets heavy. Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own traditions. Quick recap on what we preached two weeks ago. There's two ways to sin. One we called blatant disobedience. I see the command of God. I don't care about the command of God. I'm going to do what I want. That's a bad place to be. But there's a second way to sin that is no better. It just looks better. We call this sneaky disobedience. Oh, I see the command of God, and I want it to look like I am beautifully obeying that command of God, but I don't really want to do what God has called me to do. So what I'm going to do is get sneaky, and I will replace obedience to the command of God with adherence to a pious-sounding tradition of my own. And Jesus was very clear with them and with you and with me. That was no better of a place to be. Disobedience, whether it's sneaky or blatant, is sin. Now today, we are zeroing in on the example that Jesus gives of this. In his love for these people and for us, Jesus lingers here for a minute. He pauses and he articulates this one place where these religious leaders had fallen so short of what God had called them to do. And where does Jesus go? Because he could have gone all over the place, right? 
many such things you do, what's the one that he goes and presses deeply on? The way that they were scooting around honoring their father and their mother. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. If you got out a pen and you jotted down every single verse of Scripture that was explicitly about honor to parents, you wouldn't get very far. It would take you less than 10 minutes and you wouldn't even fill a page. There's not a lot of them. But this is one of those places where it's volume can betray truth. This is like me saying, hey, there's only one professional baseball team in all of Boston. This must not be a big deal. And you would know that's not true. It's the same thing here. I think what's going on is that God has so clearly written the honorableness of the reality of fatherhood and motherhood into our human existence that we don't need him to say this to us 50,000 times. It is obvious that honoring your father, honoring your mother is an essential element to living a holy life before God. If we think broadly about the scripture, you'll see what I mean. So we have the creative intent of God, and this is heavy. God in his wisdom and his grace has designed things so that all people are given life by having a father and a mother come together. He created us intending for that. Father, mother, male, female, sperm, egg, be fruitful and multiply. God commanded that Adam and Eve pursue fatherhood and motherhood. In other words, dad and mom, God's idea. And that's heavy. We have God's self-identification as Father. As Ephesians teaches us, this means that all human parenthood gets its strength, its reality, first from the fatherhood of God. It's not that we took our big bang, evolutionary, cosmic, accidental dad and then projected Homer Simpson up onto God. That's not the way that that worked. It is that God has always existed as Father, and He has invested into earthly fathers and mothers that responsibility, that love, that care, that authority. That's heavy. That's heavy for parents to see the shoes that you stand in, and that's heavy for every son and daughter that has ever lived. And we have the primacy of this command in the Ten Commandments. So the first four are about you and God himself. The next six are about us and our neighbor. But what's the first of the social commands right off the bat? Got to start here. Honor your father and your mother. Before I even think about you guys, I am called to my dad and my mom. I could keep going, talk about the narrative flow of Scripture. But if we take it all into account, what we see is this. Fatherhood and motherhood are beautiful, necessary, holy, heavy realities. Okay, so it should come as no surprise that the command in this text is what? Honor them. That word honor is the Hebrew word kabud. It comes from the root KBD. I don't say that to be fancy. I say that to tell you that KBD means heavy, weighty, worthy. In other words, fathers and mothers are to be treated as persons of great significance, great worth, great importance, honor. 
That word honor also has a very practical side to it. It's always tied together with service. So when Malachi prophesies, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. You hear him tying those two together? Honor is not honor if it's just your lips. Anyone can do that. Honor is not honor if you say, hey, I thought happy thoughts about my parents. Honor is honor when your hands get involved and you say, how can I serve you, love you, honor you? That's the command of God to us. Honor your mother. Honor your father. And Jesus does something very surprising, very interesting, very telling about this passage. In its original giving, this command came with what attached to it? Any Bible all-stars in the house? A promise. A plus. Sticker right there. Smile. A promise. Honor your father and your mother that it, your days may be long and blessed in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You feel that promise? But here, because he's talking with covenant breakers, what does Jesus do in our text? He replaces the promise of life with a, a death threat. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now, that's a civil command that was given to the older covenant nation of Israel, and it shows you how serious God is about this theme. The word revile there is very intense. It means to strike at, to curse, to attack, to despise, to spit on. Imagine someone doing that to their mom, to their dad. In other words, purposefully rejecting the command of God, the grace of God, purposefully rejecting the holy institution of the family. That kind of a heinous sin necessitated capital punishment in the life of God's older covenant people. But what that law was doing was just reflecting the undergirding law of the way things work in God's world. In the book of Proverbs, we read this proverbial truth that the civil law just codified. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Now, I know that sounds all white fang right there, right? I'm reading that with the boys. But what's the takeaway supposed to be? from these commands and warnings of God about this. You would never sneak out of obedience to this command of God. Positively, it has amazing blessing. Negatively, wrath and death for the one who would sin in this way. Everybody feel that? Okay. This is why I said we should be absolutely stunned that we read those words out loud together in our Bible, shocked at what these religious leaders were doing. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, it's given to God, you no longer permit them to do anything for their father or mother. Oh. So there was a sneaky practice in Jesus' day. If you wanted to protect your assets from your parents, what you would do is point to your checkbook and call Korban. Korban! 
That meant this money is God's. I'll use it for my living expenses as I serve God with my life. But when I'm gone, it all goes to the temple treasury. It cannot be used for any other purpose, not even for my parents' care. Now, it sounds kind of pious. Ooh, he's giving all of his assets to God. Wow, he's holy. But at its core, it could be used as a creative ploy to hold on to it for themselves and to keep it from their parents. What's worse than even that was that if someone had called Korban but then changed their minds and was either like, man, I should never have done that. I did it from a, a twisted heart. I need to back out of this vow. Or if they said, look, when I gave my assets over to God, I did it from a pure heart. I didn't realize my parents were going to need access to funds to be cared for. You need to let me back out of this vow so that I can honor my parents. The Pharisees would not let them do it. They wouldn't let them do it. They said, once you take a vow, we have a tradition. You can't go back on it. In other words, what were they saying? It's our traditions that really matter here. Don't you dare break that vow. But we will allow you, force you to break the commandment of God. Can you feel how backwards and twisted this is? They had found an excuse, a way out of honoring the parents in their day. That's why Jesus is so fired up in this controversy. That's why he is dropping bombs and talking trash and being very aggressive. It is the perfect example to show how far they were from true obedience and how hard their hearts had gotten. Sneaking out of the fifth commandment to honor your father, your mother, this weighty call of God. Okay, so that's our text, and I need you to feel that, but I'm not done, as you can imagine. And that's because this text is not given to us so that we can sit here and just wave a self-righteous finger at how sinful them Pharisees was. No. It was given to us so that we can say, what about us? Because we have our own list of convenient excuses, right? For the Pharisees it was, I don't have to honor my mother and father. I called Korban. But what about us? Let me run down a few possibilities. If I miss one that is an issue for you, I've been praying that God by His Spirit would bring it to mind. So here's one. I don't have to honor my mother and father because I am much smarter than they are. Have you ever had that sneak into your heart? Ah, what do they know? I'd much rather talk with a classmate or a professor who's on my level. At least they can dialogue with me. My parents, yeah, forget them. What a wicked sin it is to dishonor your father or your mother because their IQ isn't quite up to par with yours. I mean, first of all, intelligence is a common grace of God, right, that he doles out as he sees fit for his glory. You didn't give yourself your own brain. We should never take pride in our intelligence, never. But second of all, 
I mean, for real, who was it that sent you to that school that taught you to learn? Who was it that enabled you to go all college prep? And now you're going to turn around and dishonor your father and your mother because they can't keep up with you in conversation? Or how about this? I, I don't have to honor my father and mother because I'm too busy. See, I got this Google Calendar app, and it's just, it's packed. And did you know that there's three CSIs now every week and two NCISs, plus it's college basketball season. And I'm dating this girl right now. I don't have time to invest to love my mom and dad. Really? How about this? I don't have to honor my mother or father because they weren't as good as other mothers and fathers that I have seen. So this one is super dangerous as you're younger and you're growing up. You start to meet friends from other places, other cultures, and you start comparing your parents' achievements and accomplishments and personalities. Ooh, the heat's bang. It's sweet. Uh, you're starting to compare their pedigree with your friend's parents' pedigrees, and contempt comes to your heart. Their parents had cable TV in their house. Their curfew was 12, 15. They trusted their kids, not like my parents. My parents don't make the cut. I wish I grew up in that house. Can you feel that dishonoring? All right, how about this? I don't have to honor my mother and father because they're really annoying and they're driving me crazy and they won't change. Okay, straight up, everybody knows that fathers and mothers and sons and daughters can annoy each other. Is this true? It's something called, oh, you guys are quiet today. This one dude was like, yes, you do not know my dad. <laughs> it's called family, right? Close quarters, long histories, different personalities, they won't cut their toenails, it's driving you crazy, they won't put the remote back, the house is set to 57 degrees, they're selfish, they're moody, they're petulant, that's never an excuse to dishonor your parents. It's an opportunity to forbear, to show love, to learn patience. All right, how about this one? One more. I don't have to honor my father and mother because they are not honorable. Okay, this one's very heavy, so let me give it some time. I think we all know that sometimes fathers and mothers live very unholy lives, dishonorable lives. They sin repeatedly and terribly. They make a huge mess of things. And very often they hurt their children really badly. They do. Some of us have seen our parents ruin their lives and try to take ours down with them. It still doesn't excuse us in our heart trying to find ways to obey this command to honor them. Let me talk about what I mean. All right, so I still have not figured out what to listen to on the drive over here from Malden. I need some help with this. Christmas is coming. Somebody give me a good CD. So if I'm chill, I listen to classical. If I'm hyped up, 94.5, or I try and find BCN. Is that still a channel with rock music? Okay. Grace left the Carpenters playing one time. That was a rough drive. 
oof. If I forgot what time the Pats play, I may catch EEI on the way over here. I'm not sure if that's holy or not. One time I got the Christian channel, and that always becomes bad news. But it was fascinating because I got in my car, and the preacher said, Ladies, I would like to talk with you now about submitting to your husbands as to the Lord. And I got kind of excited in my car. I was like, are you serious? There's a radio evangelist in Massachusetts who's going to have the courage and the fear of God and the love for the women in his church and to say, obey God's creative intent for your sexuality. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. Respect his call to lead and care and love and be responsible for you. I was like, wow, I actually turned that thing up. But that is not where he went with it. He started by telling them all of the reasons that they didn't have to submit. And he had this list of potential faults in their husbands that, according to his wisdom, nullified the command of God. If he does this, if he's done this, if he's like this, he doesn't deserve you to submit to him. By the time I got to Melrose, I got out of my car, he was still going with his list. I was like, unless every woman in this guy's church is somehow married to Jesus Christ himself, he has just given them all a feeling to be justified in disobeying the command of God. Even if he went on to talk about the beauty of these things, he had given everybody an out. Now that is bad teaching, you guys. Wives are not called to submit only to husbands who have earned it by being perfectly holy. Husbands are not called to only desperately love wives who have earned that love by being perfectly holy. And children are not called to honor only parents who have earned that honor by being perfectly holy. And that's because obedience to this command is not primarily about who your parents are. It's primarily about who God is. It's not primarily about your earthly father and mother and their sin. It's first about your heavenly father and his perfection. The honor that you render to your dad, to your mom, drives straight through their frailness and brokenness and sinfulness to honor the father. So whether or not they are perfectly holy, it is right to try and find ways to honor them. Now, I am not saying, of course, that you allow your parents to have free, destructive reign in your life. For some of us, that's a possibility. Over the course of the years, there's going to be really hard conversations. There will be calls to repentance. There will be tears that are shed. Some of you will need to set up some safe perimeters around your life and your soul. If your parents are a danger to you, it's a fallen world. I get it. Some of you will have to set up safe perimeters around your children if your parents behave in a way that could be a danger to your kids, to their souls. I get all of that. What I'm saying is that there's a way to do all of that that's holy, that's godly, that still speaks and thinks in honoring ways about them that maintains respect for the positional authority that they have in your life by God's sovereign 
providence. And here's the amazing thing. I have seen that done in the life of this church. Dishonorable fathers, dishonorable mothers have been treated with honor by really godly sons and daughters. What they pray for, how they respond, the way that they speak about them, somehow obeying this command and giving honor even where it's not due. And that thing has happened only because those children have had their hearts changed by the gospel. And that's where my application begins today. All right, so with everything that I've said so far, you're expecting my application to step right to what? So let's go honor our parents. Okay, we're going to get there, but you can't start there. That's how a moralist would begin application right here. It's not us. We know that obedience can never be first. Repentance and faith have to be first. Then obedience flows. So my first point of application to you is believe the gospel with me because we desperately need the gospel in order to rightly honor our parents. I cannot honor my parents rightly without God in his grace first changing my heart. Here's what I mean. The gospel is what gives you the freedom that you need to begin to honor sinful parents. I mean, we all know that there's so much sinning and being sinned against in the family relationships that go on for decades. Without the gospel freeing you from bitterness, freeing you from unforgiveness, freeing you from pride, freeing you from anger, you're done. You will never honor. You will never be able to. But if you believe the gospel, that on the cross, Christ dealt with sin and all of its effects, covering them with his blood. You can live free. You can live fearless. You're not afraid to risk, to honor your parents. And the gospel is also what gives you the power to obey this difficult command of God. So much of what I read this week that was supposed to be an encouragement to children who were having to do this hard thing of caring for aging parents was actually totally depressing and despairing for me. All the book summaries were like, this is going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done. You have to make sure that you care for yourself first. Here are some helpful practical tactics for managing the difficulties. And I get that, right? Many of you guys can tell us how difficult this can be. But I kept waiting for one author to get out his capital letters and say, hey, Jesus is alive, and he conquered sin, and he conquered death. He did. And the Holy Spirit is real, and he dwells in you. Your parents may be dying, and your care for them may be like carrying a cross, but the tomb is empty, and life wins, and the Spirit is strong. And if your parents are believers, man, cheer up because you have an eternity coming to grow in love for each other and joy and awe and wonder and worship of Jesus. Go care for your parents out of those realities. You feel the difference right there? 
Yeah, first believe the gospel. There's freedom. There's power. Then go honor your father. Go honor your mother. When you're a little kiddo, that means immediate, glad obedience. Whatever they ask, you do it with a joyful heart. That is such honor to God and your parents. When you're an adult, the nature of the relationship changes, right? It's no longer just obedience, but you never let go of the honor and the respect. And when they grow old, when that phone call that I talked about comes in, wouldn't it be so awesome if you have lived such lives of honoring your mom and your dad that they know what your response is going to be when they have to call, that you're not going to treat that phone call like a problem to be solved, and you're not going to treat that phone call like a burden that you have to bear. Man, you're not going to treat that phone call like a responsibility that you find a way to sneak out of. They know that you see them as a gift from God to you. Even in their weakness, And that that phone call is just another invitation to believe the gospel and to keep finding ways to honor them. We've got to get our hearts to that place. We have to. And this is not just a call to individuals, although it is. So man, let this thing hit you and change you. This is a call to us as a church. Do we honor our church fathers and mothers at Seven Mile Road? Because anybody in this joint who is over 55 is very, very honorable. I'll tell you why. It's just their presence among us, right? I mean, I'm not banging on the folks who choose to stay in the place with the pews and the three hymns and the 18-minute sermon and the potluck every week. If that's their deal, okay. But I'm saying that if you get a 55 or a 65 or a 75-year-old person invested in a church like Seven Mile Road, that is big. That is honorable. They have had to make big sacrifices to do that for you. My dad still wants 11 songs and a chandelier right there so we can just swing on that thing. And he's not getting it. My mom wants prayer meetings every night, especially New Year's Eve. Man, start the year right. Come on. We'll see about that. We have a building now. What I'm saying is that it is not convenient, it is not comfortable for them to do life with us, and yet here they are, and they have loved the young people of this church, and they have discipled many of you, you know it, and they have bought into living life deeply in soul care with us, and they have been honorable. How dare we not honor them? How dare we sneak out of obedience to this command? Now, that does not mean organizing a super saints ministry or chartering a bus to Foxwoods every Sunday so they can go pull on those, uh, you know, they get attached to those things there. No. And we will not be doing bingo either. Here's what it means. If you see an older seven-miler, get to know them. Ask how they're doing. Maybe say thank you for being here. Respect them. 
Make sure they can get in and out of the building. Do not let them climb the ladder of death that pops out of the Harry Potter ceiling over here. Have you seen that? My mom called to tell me she was going to go get decorations or something, an idea. And I said, no, you are not climbing that ladder. No. And later on she told me, that was great honor for me. I felt that. And pray for them. I know why we tend to pray by name for our children and leave off our folks who will probably be with Jesus next, faster, quicker. That in these last years, 10, 20, 30 years, they would have a huge vision of Jesus and be holy the whole time. Our hearts need to be for, not just ourselves and our kids, but for the fathers and mothers that Jesus has given to us. Do you have any idea what a witness that would be in this jacked up Boston culture that we live in? I mean, I think you know that we literally have an opportunity in the life of this church to meet a cultural need that's being missed. Our culture does not know what to do with its old people. No idea how to care for aging parents. What if this place was different? What if anybody showed up and said, okay, that I have not seen before. That is honor of fathers and mothers. Let me finish with a story that'll give you some vision for this. A couple of years ago, I got a call from a family at another local church. There was an 85-year-old mom, and she was a faithful member of the church, and she was dying over at Lawrence Memorial Hospital. And neither of their pastors was around, and so they were looking for someone to come and to be with her as she died. And so I said, give me the hotel room, uh, the hospital room. I will go right over there and sit with her and honor this church mother as, as she dies. As I thought about that this week, I was so grieved in, in memorizing the scripture and getting ready to preach to you that just because their pastors weren't around, there was no one else at this church ready and anxious to be there and to honor and to serve this dying mother. I hope that we never, never get to a place like that. If one of our church fathers or mothers should get hospitalized, we should never have to hunt down a pastor and then go to the next church over for someone to have a heart ready to honor them and to serve them. There's a hundred of you guys right here who should say, let me add that. Let me show honor and service and gospel and love What's supposed to happen is that the nursing station is supposed to shut us down, right? And just be like, that's enough, young people, coming to, coming to see this guy, coming to see this lady. No more. And then, because you all have seven row t-shirts on, <laughs> they will chat amongst themselves and say, I don't know what seven mile road is. I don't know what this gospel thing is, but I have never seen a community of young people extend such honor and love, and respect, and care to its aging parents. Man, that is what Jesus calls us to in this text. You need that for your own soul, whatever your circumstance may be. We need that as a church. Let's believe the gospel together on this point. Let's let the Spirit change our hearts. Let's be a place that just lights up the world in the way that we honor our fathers and our mothers. Let's pray for that. Father, I pray that you would do 
uh, what I just said, change our hearts, it's got to start there. We live in a culture that has embraced euthanasia. We live in a culture that does not know how to talk with or love or serve or honor aging fathers and mothers. In fact, you know, we just repudiate fatherhood and motherhood altogether. Would you let this be a different place, please, by your grace, for your glory? Would you humble us? Would you set us free to be selfless? Would you give us vision for honoring our dads and our moms in a way that drives right through them and brings honor to our heavenly Father who has been such a good dad to us? Would you come and do this work in our hearts? I pray, I pray, amen.